Welcome to Leading the Way, the international Bible teaching ministry of Atlanta pastor and author, Dr. Michael Youssef. Macon, Georgia, are you ready? Here we go. Put those hands together. Come on. Yeah. Sing this if you know. Come on. God, I'm running for your heart. I'm running for your heart. Till I am a soul on fire. Lord, I'm longing for your ways. I'm waiting. As part of expanding the gospel impact of Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, Leading the Way is partnering with local churches to reach and to disciple communities all around the world. Recently, Dr. Youssef brought a powerful evangelistic message to those living south of Atlanta in central Georgia. In addition to a powerful worship time that unified people of many denominational backgrounds, those in attendance were challenged by Dr. Youssef to reach and to disciple those in communities surrounding Macon and beyond. Up next, portions of that special event. You're invited to praise God for the lives impacted and experience personal challenge from God's Word on this edition of Leading the Way. I'm so honored to be with you. I am a very serious preacher, in case you have not heard me before. I don't waste time. I get to the point. They call me politically incorrect, but I'm biblically correct. Amen. And I want to do some serious talking with you. You've heard it said many times in the last few years, we live in unprecedented times. And it's absolutely true. We're seeing chaos and disaster before our own eyes like we've never seen before. According to some media, it feels like the end of the world. As a matter of fact, in the Telegraph of England, one of the largest newspapers, headline says, is this the end of the world? The Nation magazine, one of the best respected magazines, said the same thing. It said, the end of the world is closer than it seems. Even today, we're seeing riots in France and food shortages in England and the rivers are drying in the Middle East and Euphrates and problems in the, even the Nile River. But none of this should surprise us because Jesus himself gave us some signs about the closeness of his return. 
He gives us those signs in Matthew chapter 24. And he said these things are going to take place immediately before his return and the day of judgment. And those signs are all here right now. But the most important question that every one of us should be asking tonight, am I ready and prepared for that great day? Will I be among those who are eternally saved and therefore have peace of mind here and now and for all of eternity, no matter what? Or will I be among those who will be in sorrow and despair and regret and facing torment for all of eternity? Am I truly saved or am I just pretending to be a church person? Am I living for Christ or am I faking it? Am I truly surrendering to Jesus Christ as my only Savior and Lord? Or am I living for self? And in Matthew 25, right after the time Jesus gives us all those signs in 24, in 25 he goes in and he tells us that there is a story there. Immediately after he says these are the signs and these signs are happening right now, he gives a story to illustrate the difference between those who are truly saved and those who are pretending to be. The difference between those who truly surrendered their life to him and for all of their life and for all of their activities and of all of their concerns and priority or pretending to be church people. It is called the parable of the ten young women or the ten virgins. And I want to talk to you about that. It's very, very important. This is a serious matter. In telling us of that parable, our Lord Jesus Christ is giving us a self-administered litmus test whether I will be with Him or I will be moaning and crying for all of eternity. He gives us that self-administered test to know, am I saved or am I not? This test will reveal to you where you stand on this day of judgment that is soon coming upon the world. This test will tell you if you are prepared to meet Jesus as your Savior or you're going to face Him as your judge. Please listen to me. There can be no mistake about it. Every one of us. Every one of us are going to face Jesus one of those days. Every one of us, we're going to face Him one day. And you can face Him as your Savior, or you can face Him as your judge. The choice is yours tonight to make. And today, you can be absolutely certain to know where you stand. The story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25 about these ten virgins, these ten young women, they were supposed to be part of a wedding party. Now I can tell you with absolute certainty that this parable is realistic in its details, it's poignant in its application, and it is profound in its teaching. Ten young women who were supposed to be part of the wedding ceremony, they were all church people. They were church people. Five of the ten called wise women, and the other five were foolish. Now there's a reason why they were called wise. They showed their wisdom by their lives. They showed their wisdom, but they're being prepared and ready for any moment the bridegroom, Jesus, comes back. They were prepared. They were ready. They had the oil for the lamps. Oh, but the foolish ones, <laughs> the foolish ones on the other hand, they were totally unprepared. They got distracted by other things in life. They neglected the most important decision in life. 
This is the most important decision you can ever make. They were not prepared for the test. And this story that Jesus still reveals to us, that these ten young women had so many things in common. They had so many things in common. And in fact, they all went to sleep at night, just like all human beings go to sleep at night. But suddenly goes the cry, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. The five wise ones got up and they put oil in their lamps and they were ready to go. But the foolish ones said, oops, we don't have oil. We have lamps, but no oil. We have religion, but no salvation. We have traditions, but not the Spirit of God. We have church membership, but not salvation. So they go and ask the wise women, the young women, and they said, can you give us some oil? Can you give us some oil? They said, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. We have enough just for us. Please hear me right. This is important. This is important because I need to stop here and tell you this most important thing that if you did not know, you're going to know tonight. Salvation is a personal experience. You cannot inherit it. You cannot buy it. You cannot earn it. You cannot give it to another. Each individual just has enough oil of salvation for themselves and themselves alone. And the foolish ones thought, well, uh, like many people do today, uh, they can wait until the end of their life and pray the prayer. You know what I'm talking about? Or they said, well, wait until we're dying and then we ask for forgiveness. Or God might feel sorry for us and just lets us into his heaven. No, he doesn't. Or hopefully our good deed will outweigh our bad deed. No, because there is no such thing as good deed will outweighing all bad deeds. But there is such a thing as it is too late. Too late. The Bible said when Noah preached to his neighbors, asked him to come into the ark and be saved. And he asked him for 120 years he preached. And they mocked him. They made fun of him. They ignored him. And then the Bible said God shut the door of that ark. Not Noah, but God. My dear friend, it was too late. And there is such thing as it's going to be too late for us. Oh, dear friends, listen to me. The day is coming when the opportunity of salvation will be no more. When the opportunity comes, when Christ comes in order to save you eternally, now that door of salvation will be shut when the door of mercy is shut, it's too late. When the time of salvation, that door is shut, it's too late. But it is not too late tonight. It is not too late tonight. The time for receiving Jesus as your only Savior and Lord is today. The time to confess and repent of your sins and seek His forgiveness with all of your heart is today. You know these foolish the foolish ones realized, symbolically speaking, it was midnight. Because they were asleep. In real life, it was night. But they didn't realize it's a spiritual midnight. You see, the shops were closed. What does that mean? The door of salvations were closed. 
The door is shut. No more chances. It is too late. And so they try to play on the sympathy of the bridegroom. And they try to play on, his, on the sympathy. In verse 13 of Matthew 25, they cried out to the bridegroom. And he said to them, I don't know you. Oh, listen to me. They could say, well, but we go to church on Christmas and Easter. We go to church on some occasions. I don't know you. But we did some good things in life. I don't know you. But we were good people. I don't know you. And that is why Jesus goes on to say, Keep on watching because you do not know what the hour is. You don't know what day it is of His return. You've got to be watching. You're going to be anticipating. And you've got to be waiting. Now, I'm going to come back to this very important, this very important matter. I'm going to come back to it very soon. But I want to transport you, literally, in your minds, to the Middle East, where I come from, 2,000 years ago. I didn't live that long ago. But I know the Middle East very well. Every one of those who were hearing Jesus telling the story of the ten versions, the five wise and the five foolish, knew that there were three stages of marriage in the Middle East. There's still this to this day, actually, in some areas. Three stages. The first stage, when the kids are young, the two sets of parents get together, and they agree. Our son and your daughter will marry when they get older. That's the first stage. I wish they do that now. It's a lot, makes it a lot easier. <laughs> then the second stage is called the betrothal. When the children get older, they've already been spoken for. <laughs> its betrothal is much stronger than our engagement of today. It's much more committed than it's our engagement of today. Then comes the third stage, and that is the marriage celebration the feast and the consummation of marriage. Listen to me, please, please, please. Between the time of the betrothal and the marriage feast, the groom is busy. He is working to build an addition to his father's house to which he can bring his bride. And so he's busy building an addition. That's why Jesus said, in my father's house there are many rooms. There are many rooms. Jesus also said, I go and prepare a place for you. He's building that addition for each believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. You see, he said, when I am ready, when your addition is ready, I'm going to come and take you to myself. Now, that addition that are being built in the Father's house is ready in the time of the return of the Lord Jesus, He's going to come and take us home. And He's going to introduce us to His Father. He will say, these are the ones I died for. This is the one who responded to my invitation. This is the ones who believed in me. And He's going to present us blameless. Can you think of that? I mean, it's incredible. Blameless before His Father. And often the quality and the splendor of that addition in the Father's house was dependent on the wealth of the Father. And listen to me, who can be richer than our Heavenly Father? Jesus' Father. 
Then when the addition is ready, the groom will parade with his friends and well-wishers in Main Street. They will parade down from his father's house to the bride's father's house. And the music and the dancing are taking place all along the road in Main Street. And the crowd is shouting, the groom is coming, the groom is coming. And this shout increases in volume and in intensity as the groom gets closer to the bride's house. It is growing in intensity now. Then when the groom fetches his bride and brings her and begins to head back to his father's house, that parade is even bigger than the one that brought him into her house. That bigger parade, a bigger music, louder music, dancing and celebration. Oh, my friend, listen, listen to me, listen to me. Please don't miss, I beg you not to miss what I'm going to tell you. Because what Jesus is telling us in this parable is something very, very serious. That in his first coming, he is inviting whomsoever comes to be part of his bride, the church. In his first coming, he betrothed all of those who truly have accepted his invitation and committed themselves to him. In his first coming, Jesus issued an invitation, but only those will be betrothed are those who have loved him with all of their heart. Betrothed only those who have lived for him and waited for him and longed for him and served him and him alone. But then there was another group of people. All oh, they might admire Jesus. They say, oh, he was just a good teacher. He was just a good example of living and loving. We learn from him. Yeah, right, best of luck. That's what someone said, I'm a follower of Jesus. You do that on your own, and you're going to fall and stumble on your face. Only Jesus can help you to be a follower of Jesus. Only when you come to Jesus can you be a true follower of Jesus. These people admired Jesus, they respected Jesus, but they never obeyed Jesus. Those who may have occasionally attended church, but they never were born again. They were never born again of the Spirit of God. Those who may have gone through the motions of Christianity, but lived their life for themselves. Those, my friends, are the foolish ones that makes me weep at times. In fact, in the, this story that Jesus tells about these ten versions, he gives us seven. Seven things are common between them. I'm going to tell you very quickly, very quickly. They both were invited. They both responded positively to the invitation initially. They both groups were part of the visible church. Both had affection toward the bridegroom. Both confessed Jesus with their lips. Both believed that he is coming back. Both physically have fallen asleep. But as soon as the bridegroom showed up, all of the similarities have ceased. Why? Because some were born again and others were not. Did you know that in the Bible, oil is the symbol of the Holy Spirit? It's the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, that's why Jesus said you must be born again. Born of the Spirit. Not just a, a religious experience. No, no, no. 
that the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God comes into your life, He's going to cause you an inner change. When the Holy Spirit comes in, He's going to cause inner transformation in your life. The Holy Spirit, when He comes in, He calls you to be sold out for Jesus. The Holy Spirit compels you to live for Christ and not for self. And that is why this self-administered test that I'm talking about is very important. It's very important. And I pray everyone at the sound of my voice will be doing this test tonight. Do I live my life with the total expectations of seeing Him face to face? Am I living my life with the one thought, the audience of one that I'm going to have with Jesus? But every one of us are going to have that audience of one. Why? Because no matter what you call yourself, no matter what you think yourself to be, no matter what your personal views are or your belief system, the question is, do I anticipate with joy the day of the return of Christ or not? Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Does the thought of the return of Christ and in the times and, and the day of judgment is going to come that we read about in the Scripture, both in Revelation and the Thessalonians and, and in, here in Matthew 24, does this frighten you or does it thrill you? That's the question. Ask yourself. I'm not asking you if you have had some religion. I'm not asking you if you had some religious experience. No, I'm not asking you if you belong to a denomination. No. Jesus said you must be born again. Be born of the Spirit of God. And if tonight will be the night in which you can affirm that, this self-administered test is my life lived with this great day in mind or not. And that is why Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into my heaven. Just like a torch without fuel is worthless, so is a professing Christian without the Christian life. These five foolish young women, what they professed outwardly was not substantiated in their inward life. Someone would say, well, Michael, okay, I got it, I got it, tell me. How can I be sure that I am living the life like these wise women, these wise young women? I'm glad you asked, because I want to answer. By accepting Christ's invitation, and coming down and confessing and repenting of your sin, by recognizing that only Jesus, who died on the cross for you, can forgive you eternally, by accepting that His death on the cross to be for you and on your behalf, that when He died, He died your death. When He died, He paid your debt, that He gave His life so that you may live for Him. Can I get an amen? By accepting the fact that Jesus coexisted with God the Father for before all eternity. And yet, He willingly, obediently laid aside the splendor, not His divinity, but the splendor of His divinity. And He took a form of a man, died a criminal's death. The innocent, the perfect, the sinless, 
died for sinners. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the day of accepted time. Now is the time. Come, come, whatever you are, come down. You're listening to portions of a special event originating in central Georgia where local Christians invited lost family and friends and neighbors to hear a gospel message from Dr. Michael Youssef, and the results brought celebration in heaven and on earth. Dr. Michael Youssef passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth around the world through multiple ministry arms of leading the way. Learn more at ltw.org. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Connect with us through our YouTube channel, Facebook, Twitter, and all of our social media networks.